Welcome back to another episode of Crime Beneath the Vines. I'm your host, Willow Dawn. And before we get started today, I just wanted to thank everybody who has tuned in to the last couple of episodes for listening and supporting. I really, really appreciate it. But today we are going to be getting into our first non-murder crime little episode. We're going to be talking about some prohibition crimes. At least in this episode, I'm going to be talking about one prohibition crime, and that was just a winery that was operating during prohibition illegally when obviously you couldn't make alcohol. I am really excited for the more lighthearted episode this time compared to the kind of heavy content we've seen the last couple of episodes, and I really hope you guys enjoy it too. In the future, I want to definitely cover other prohibition crimes or crimes that happened during the prohibition era here in wine country or wine country really anywhere. Now, before I get into talking about anything illegal that actually took place, I first want to cover what a little bit of Prohibition was, since we've never discussed it on the show. Now, Prohibition lasted from 1920 until 1933, specifically January 17th, 1920, until December 5th, 1933. And for anybody who doesn't know, Prohibition was the nationwide ban of the production, importation, transportation, and sale of alcohol. Embarrassingly, I didn't realize this until researching for this, but the prohibition didn't actually ban the possession of alcohol, so people could totally possess it still, they just couldn't give it out. Now, prohibition was initially introduced as an idea that could reduce crime and corruption and even resolve some social problems, because obviously at the time, everybody was just drinking all the time. They also thought that it could maybe reduce tax burden and also, you know, reduce the amount of people in prisons and poorhouses because less drinking will mean less people committing crimes or drinking all their money away and ending up in a poorhouse. They also thought at the time that prohibition could improve overall health and hygiene since, like I mentioned, everyone was just drunk. Unfortunately, of course, prohibition did have more unintended consequences than they were expecting when it was implemented. Eventually, prohibition did lead to a rise in organized crime associated with the illegal production and sale of alcohol, anything from bootlegging to making wine or even just like brewing your at-home whatever you could make alcohol. Essentially, prohibition didn't solve any of the problems that it had set out to do when it was implemented just a few years before. On top of that, the effects of prohibition on the mainstream alcohol production industry were drastic. I mean, in California alone, there were 713 bonded wineries prior to prohibition. However, by 1933, when it was repealed, most of the wineries had gone out of business or something else had happened to them, and very few reopened. I mean, in Dry Creek, uh, Dry Creek region of Sonoma County alone, there were 17 wineries prior to prohibition. And luckily, seven reopened, but that was a lot for the region. I spent a lot of time researching how many wineries actually reopened after Prohibition in California because there were 713 prior to Prohibition. Unfortunately, though, I couldn't find any solid lists online anywhere. I did find one list that said only seven wineries reopened in California. However, none of those were actually in Sonoma County. And based on what we know about Dry Creek, uh, there were definitely more wineries that reopened following Prohibition than seven. 
In my research, I've seen at least 20 different names of the same names mentioned on many different lists. So we know at least 20 different wineries of those 713 reopened after Prohibition. However, I am sure there are definitely more than that, but there's just really no good record keeping of it, it seems, because these things do change hands a lot. The wineries burn down, wineries are sold, exchanged. I mean, it's just what happens in the industry. In Sonoma County, prohibition essentially meant having to pause your entire way of life because, at the time, many families relied on the production of wine for their well-being. If someone wasn't a winery owner, they were probably a winery worker or a vineyard worker or made glass for the wineries. I mean, everyone out here supported each other. And if you weren't doing it, someone in your family was. During Prohibition, since people couldn't actually produce wine and distribute it, they had to get crafty with ways to still make money. Some people took to marketing table grapes so they could still maintain the vines for the eventual day that Prohibition would be repealed. Although this really was only done with Zinfandel, all the other varieties at the time that they were growing in the region were much too seedy, and Zinfandel is sweet and only has about two seeds, so it's definitely tasty and marketable as a table grape. Something pretty cool is because some of these wineries were able to keep their Zinfandel in ground, now we have a couple of wineries that still have 100 plus year old vines in ground and they're still producing Zinfandel wine with those same vines. During this era, it also wasn't uncommon for wineries to burn down under mysterious circumstances and then their owners be able to cash out on the large insurance payouts. It was just another way that people were able to support themselves during these very dry times. Back to the people who pulled out their vines, a lot of the people that pulled out their vines actually took to keeping in the agricultural business and instead planting a bunch of prune fields. In addition to these prune fields, people also took to planting orchards with all types of fruiting trees. They grew everything from apples to figs to plums to cherries. I mean, here in Sonoma County, pretty much anything grew great, especially back in the 1920s. Although a little bit more about prunes, during Prohibition, prunes quickly became the next big cash crop for the area. Prunes as a crop grew beautifully, especially in the warmer climate of northern Sonoma County. Back in the day, Sonoma County residents even actually held an annual prune blossom festival celebrating the fruit. On top of that, Sonoma County would even delay the start of school every single year so that the school children could assist in the large prune harvests. It was a community event for literally everybody, and it supported them in the times when you really couldn't produce wine. At least commercially. Actually, following the repeal of Prohibition, by 1936, the little town of Healdsburg, located in northern Sonoma County, had over 24,000 acres of prune fields, and it was labeled the Buckle of the Prune Belt. At the time, Sonoma County was the Prune Belt. It would be a wine country crime if I didn't mention this, but actually during Prohibition, there were some wineries that were able to swindle their way into legally producing wine by gaining production permits. However, those permits had a catch. They were solely for the production of sacramental wine for Catholic religious services. Corbell Winery was actually one of the big names that were able to legally produce wine during Prohibition, with the understanding that their wine and brandy was only used on altars and for medicinal purposes. Of course, most wineries did not gain special permission to produce their wine, so they resorted to operating illegally. 
Funny enough, prohibition actually increased the consumption of wine by nearly 100%. It was reported that prior to prohibition, wine consumption was averaged to be about 55 million gallons a year nationwide. However, during prohibition, the average consumption of wine a year was 156 million gallons, which meant that winemakers had to get really creative in their methods for production to supply the demand. A lot of people during this time actually turned to making their own wine at home, and some wineries even got into the business of creating kits for anyone who was interested in making their own homemade wine. One of the first wineries to do these homemade winemaking kits, and one that actually benefited a lot from it during Prohibition, was Fabiano Vineyards. That is Fabiano, sometimes called Fopiano, but anything but Fabiano. Fabiano Vineyards is located just off of Old Redwood Highway in the heart of the Russian River Valley, right near Healdsburg, California. To this day, Fabiano Vineyards is one of the oldest continually operated and family-owned wineries here in Sonoma County. They have been in the same family for five, almost six generations, and has supplied Northern California with wine for over a century. Today, Fapiano Vineyards is comprised of 160 acres of all-estate wine, and they just celebrated last year their 125th anniversary. Fapiano Vineyards was founded in 1896 by Giovanni Fapiano, an Italian guy from Genoa, Italy. Now, before Giovanni arrived, Fapiano Vineyards was actually a farm called Riverside Farm, and it's called Riverside because the Russian River actually runs right along the backside of the property. Because the land had previously been used as agricultural land, there was already a wealth of fruit trees in existence growing on the property. And the fruit from these trees also helped to sustain the winery from it going under during Prohibition. Fapiano Vineyards was one of those that got very crafty during Prohibition to stay alive. They were marketing their fruit from their trees. They were also marketing their grapes from their Zinfandel vines as table grapes down in San Francisco. And they were selling these homemade winemaking kits. Unfortunately, though, Prohibition wasn't totally smooth sailing for the Fapianos because during Prohibition, they had actually continued to produce wine on the down low. And from what I've understood from visiting the property a couple of well, multiple times, the Fapianos had crafted a fake wall in the production facility. And this wall was like six to 12 inches thick of cement. And this wall hid their fermentation tank so that they could produce wine and hide it from the inspectors. For about six years, this fake wall was effective at doing its job. However, eventually someone got suspicious or the word got out. Because on August 15th in 1926, federal treasury agents determined that Fapiano Vineyards was in violation of the Volstead National Prohibition Act of 1919. Thus ensued a full-on property raid. The federal agents actually forced the Fapiano family to pour out 100,000 gallons of wine into a nearby creek, and that creek flowed to the Russian River, and this day would go down as the day the river ran red. It's actually been rumored that Fapianos had poured out a lot more than 100,000 gallons of wine. However, unfortunately, we'll never know the exact amount lost to those waters. 
For anyone who isn't from the area, creeks in California in August are almost always going to be dry. So this 100,000 gallons of wine was all getting poured directly into a dry creek. And of course, that creek flowed to the river, but there was a distance before the wine actually blended with the water. And this distance allowed for locals to come on by with their containers, buckets, jars, whatever they could hold, and scoop up as much wine as they could carry home. Legend has it that the locals did let the sediment settle prior to drinking and cooking with this wine, although we will really never know. (laughs) I really hope they did. I mean, not that I think it would be bad for them, but more that I think that it would just be a little gritty. And personally, gritty wine doesn't sound super appealing to me. There's actually a legendary photo taken the day that Fapiano Vineyards was raided, and in the photo, there's about five men visible, pouring many wine bottles out into this creek. And quite a fair amount of the wine was definitely missing the creek and instead landing itself in these men's mouths. And in the photo, there's actually about two or three men visibly passed out on the banks of the creeks, having had way too much wine. The funny thing is that in this photo, the federal agent who had raided the winery is visible overlooking all of the unconventional dumping. And this photo is actually posted up in Fapiano Vineyard's tasting room. So if anybody does stop by, definitely make sure to take a glance at it because that is one piece of history that you got to see. I will also make sure to post this photo on the Instagram. Now, I've also always been curious as to the possible impacts on the environment that 100,000 gallons of dumped wine could have. But unfortunately, I haven't been able to find anything that really has dived into that or anything that dove into the actual effects that they saw in 1926. I mean, I would ideally like to think that the day the river ran red didn't end in a mass casualty event for fish or ecological disaster and instead hopefully just landed a bunch of amphibians drunk, though I'm sure that's not really how that went down. It's always funny to think in hindsight and examine the strategies previous generations utilized to protect our environment, because oftentimes there weren't any. More recently, back in 2020, a winery just one mile up the road from Fapiano Vineyards, Rodney Strong, quite a big name, accidentally spilled thousands of gallons of wine that flowed itself into the Russian River, and they were fined quite a big amount for it. At Rodney Strong, a 100,000-gallon blending tank at the winery ended up spilling 46,000 gallons of Cabernet, which flowed freely into the river. Immediately, a team of about 50 volunteers began monitoring the river for ecological disaster. Luckily, though, the 46,000 gallons of wine ended up blending beautifully with the waters and the riverbanks and didn't result in any dead fish, or at least any more dead fish than there would be on a normal day. It was reported back in 2020 that the concentration of pollutants from the spill could cause potential loss of nutrition for the river, but overall, the massive spill did not have a big or devastating impact on the environment like they thought it would. Considering 46,000 gallons of wine didn't cause many problems for the river, it's possible, and I'm hopeful, that the 100,000 gallons of wine that the Fapianos were forced to pour out maybe only caused some chaos in the river for a few weeks and didn't cause any real disaster. This does bring us to the end of our first prohibition crime that we are covering here on Crime Beneath the Vines. I like mixing in some more lighthearted crime-based episodes in between the more heavy stuff just to lighten it up a little bit i mean this is a true crime show but not all true crime has got to be dark dark stuff 
I certainly hope you guys enjoy the more lighthearted stuff as well. And please make sure to follow me on our Crime Beneath the Vines Instagram just to stay tuned for any updates. That's mostly where I'm active. I am also active on our Crime Beneath the Vines Facebook page. So if you want to go there, you can see updates there. We do have a Twitter account and I am working currently on getting a little more active on there. I haven't used it as of yet. Uh, I really don't know why, but I mean, we will get on there eventually. Just stay tuned on the Instagram for those updates. I really, really appreciate it, guys. And thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Crime Beneath the Vines. I'm your host, Willow Dawn. Willow Dawn.